Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight and hope you've had a good day, maybe a restful day, maybe not a restful day, uh, but hope you're here to worship the Lord. Uh, we want to welcome those who are with us on our phone live streaming. Uh, maybe you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, uh, subscribe there, uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, just get help get the word out there more about our services, but want to say welcome. Welcome to those of you who are listening on our phone live streaming and encourage you to, to share that with others also if you need the number I'll be glad to give that to you if you would if you're at home and you have access to the internet go to highlandbaptistchurch.com it's under the info tab that you can download today's worship bulletin uh, you can also get the children's worship bulletins there as well as the prayer list there so be sure to get all of those uh, those are in the windowsill over here to my right I think the prayer lists are still down here on the front pew if you need those in paper copy uh, and then the worship bulletins are uh, everywhere around so be sure to grab one of those but just want to say welcome tonight. Uh, Brother Mike, I guess you're up. So. <laughs> Take your hymnals and turn to 615. Let's sing to the work. We'll do all four, Tommy. servants of God let us follow the path that our master has trod with the balm of his counsel our strength to renew let us do with our might what our hands find to do toiling on toiling on toiling on toiling on let us hold watch and labor till the master comes to the work to the work let the hungry be fed to the fountain of life let the weary be led in the cross and its banner our glory shall be while we herald the tidings salvation is free Toiling on, toiling on, toiling on, toiling on. Let us hope, let us watch, and labor till the Master comes. Now, for those of you that read music, those pauses aren't in there. That's a Charles Williams special that we learned from him years ago, and that's just the way we sing it still. So just there's a pause that it's not in there so just bear with us <clears throat> third verse Tommy to the work to the work there is labor for all for the kingdom of darkness and error shall fall and the love of our father exalted shall be in the loud swelling chorus salvation is free Toiling on, toiling on, <clears throat> toiling on, toiling on. Let us hope, let us watch, and labor till the master comes. To the 
the work, to the work, in the strength of the Lord, and a robe and a crown shall our labor reward. When the home of the faithful our dwelling shall be, and we shall with the ransom salvation is free. Toiling on, toiling on, toiling on, toiling on. Let us hope, let us watch, and labor till the Master comes. Thank you. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel again, to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, there's a lot in these two chapters we've been looking at in Matthew 24 and 25. And then even into, as we get it back into the, the narrative when we come to verse uh, or to chapter 26. I've entitled this message tonight, The Fear of Risking It All. Uh, we all have gifts from God, and because of that, every one of us are given opportunities to find God's will and to do God's work, uh, and we are to be faithful in using those gifts. And yet, so often, we don't take the risk and, uh, to step out by faith and to trust the Lord uh, with all that we have and all that we are. So Matthew 25, we're going to read verse 14 and verse 15 for now. So if you would, let's stand and read God's word in honor of his word. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, I pray that you will speak your truth into our hearts through the power of your word tonight. Lord, I pray that we will see that every one of us who are here, uh, every one of us who are watching, Lord, that you have gifted us with talents, with abilities uh, to serve you in your kingdom work. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful uh, until the day that we draw our last dying breath to be faithful to use those gifts and those talents in whatever way that we can to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus uh, to bring good into the lives of other people. And Father, I just pray that you will bless your word tonight. Help us to learn how we can step out uh, it, it, when, when, even when we fear about using those gifts, Lord, that we would not let the fear of risking it all keep us, Lord, from serving you. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as we said, we're all given opportunities to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. We've been given opportunities and been given abilities to match uh, those opportunities and so, uh, so that we can exercise our responsibility uh, to use those abilities and take advantage of all the things that, that God has, has given to us and those opportunities that he's given us to bring glory uh, to, to God. Uh, but there's a catch for us. When he gives us those abilities, uh, the catch is this, you either use it or you lose it. Uh, Jesus tells here in this passage 
The second parable that he tells, the last parable that he tells uh, in this last week of his earthly ministry before he heads uh, to the cross. And uh, we talked about the first one this morning, which was the parable of the, the ten virgins, uh, the five who were wise, the five who were foolish. And tonight we're looking at the, the parable of the talents because these are some things Jesus wanted to make sure that as his life was coming to an end, he wanted to remind his disciples and by virtue of them us as his followers, he wanted to make sure we're focused on eternity, that Jesus is coming again, that we need to make, be, make sure that we are ready for when that day comes and that we're being faithful to serve him. And in fact, that's what he goes more into in this parable is about serving and using those abilities. And in fact, this parable has a profound truth for us. Uh, the profound truth is this, is that every saint is both a servant and a steward. So if you're a Christian, you ought to be a servant uh, doing something for God and a steward being faithful in using the gifts that God has given to you uh, for his glory. And yet so often in our 21st century risk avoidance culture, if you will, we insulate ourselves with safety. We place a high premium on safety. We ensure everything uh, from our vacations to cell phones. Uh, we, we, we check those crash tests on cars to make sure is this car going to be a safe car versus that car. We extend the warranties on our appliances. Uh, we go on low cholesterol diets and buy low-risk mutual funds. But in the end, every single one of us are going to face risk. But in, but in insulating ourselves from the unknown, the, risk, the risks of life and insulating those, us from those things, we miss the great adventure of living our lives to its fullest potential in serving the Lord. Jesus said that the point of this parable is twofold. First, while Jesus is away, uh, the believer is to do something, that is to work. We're to work faithfully and diligently. And then secondly, while Jesus is away until he comes again, we as believers are to know something. So we're not only to do something, we're to know something. We're to know that his work will be greatly rewarded or our work will be severely judged. And so we have to be willing to risk it all for Jesus. So I, wanna, I want you to think of life today as an opportunity uh, that has with it a responsibility to use the abilities God has given you to glorify God. So in this parable, Jesus tells us three truths that I want you to get tonight from it that are radically life-changing. Here's the first truth that we need to learn. All that you have is God's gift. Everything you have, whether it's the breath you're breathing, whether it's the money you've got in your bank account, whether it's the house over your head, whether it's the food on your table, it's all a gift from God. In fact, that's what we see in verse 14 and verse 15. So this is again another parable that is telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so notice that every servant in this parable, in those two verses, has been given gifts, has been given talents. One servant was given five talents. Another man was given two. And another man, one. But every man had at least one talent. You know, that's true for every one of us. 
Everyone has been given gifts uh, equally, uh, and they, they were all given by the master. Now, one had five, one had two, and one had one, so it wasn't the amount of gifts. It was that everyone had been given gifts. So let me stop here to make sure that you hear what Jesus was saying here. Every one of these talents were important because they were given by the master. Every gift of God is important because it's a gift from God. Whether you're talking about the, the family that you have, the spouse that you have, uh, as we said, the roof over our head, whatever you might have, everything that you are is a gift from God. And, and every gift of God is important because it is a gift from God. What makes you and your abilities and your gifts so special is they are gifts of God. So even though everyone in the parable had been given talents, they had not all been given equal talents. Verse 15 tells us that these talents were given to each according to his own ability. So God gives different gifts uh, to different people according to different abilities. The Lord had entrusted his goods, his gifts, his abilities, responsibilities to his servants. And so in this particular point, Jesus says uh, a few things here. Uh, the Lord uh, called his own servants. Notice the word for servant is the word bond slave. Uh, he called those who were supposedly his own, uh, which is a precious thought there in and of itself, and who were supposedly faithful and responsible to his service. And so he, he bought them. Uh, they were his own. They were to serve him. They were his servants that had been paid for uh, by the precious, that was going to be paid for here by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord gave each servant, we see, a different portion of his goods to look after. So the point is that each person was given this special talent, this gift of responsibility, nobody's left out. So understand this this evening. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how special you may think you are or how unspecial you may think you are. It doesn't matter how educated or how uneducated you are. Every single one of us who are believers have been gifted by God in at least one area. Some are gifted in one, some are two, some are five, some may be more. But notice here, no one is left out. And so each servant was to be expected to work and to serve. In the Christian faith, there's to be no lone rangers and there's to be no spectators. You know, so often we think, oh, I'll be a spectator. I'll be out there in the stands. I'll cheer everybody else on while they do the work. Sometimes we even come to the place in our life where we look at, at what's going on in the ministry and we think, I've done my time. It's time for the next generation to step up. And it is. It is time for the next generation to step up and, and take responsibility and to fulfill the call and the abilities that God has laid upon their life. But you don't get an out. You don't get an out until you take your last dying breath and you go on to be with the Lord. We're to serve the Lord until the very end. And so the Lord gave to each servant according to his ability. Now several factors are important here. No two servants had the same ability. Understand that every single one of us, our environments, every one of our environments are different. Every one of our opportunities are different. Every one of us have different genes in our body. We have different heritages. Even if you're a husband and wife, you bring one heritage with you as a husband, the wife brings another heritage, and you two become one in Christ. 
but you have a uniqueness and a difference about you in your heritage. Uh, No two servants have the same training, have the same mind, have the same heart, have the same discipline, the same initiative. So here's the thing you need to remember. None of us who are here tonight has to be a Billy Graham. You get that? You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You just have to be you, who God's called you to be, serving God with the gifts he's given you. So you don't have to be a Paul. Uh, You don't have to be a Barnabas. You have to be who God has created and called you to be. Every one of us is different. And each servant receives all the gifts that you need and that you can use. Every servant has equal opportunity to be faithful in using what God has given them. There wasn't a one of these servants in this parable that was hindered from being able to use the talents that the Lord had given to him, that the master had given to them. We're to to be judged on our faithfulness, not on the number of gifts or the size of the work that we're assigned to. So that means that it doesn't matter if we're in a mega church or we're in a little tiny country church. God gifts every one of us in different ways to be used in the place that he's called us to be, the place that he's placed us at. And we're to be judged on our faithfulness wherever we're at. And so even though the talents in this parable here are monetary measurements... When you read the entire parable here, you begin to realize that these talents represent opportunities. Opportunities to use God-given abilities for God's glory. So don't miss the fact that the amount of the talent is irrelevant. We're going to see that the master in this story expected just as much from the man who had one talent as he expected from the man who had five talents. Neither one had a different expectation on him. He didn't look at the one who, said, who had five and said, well, I'm placing a greater responsibility on you because you've got five. I'm putting a lesser responsibility on you because you've got one. No, everybody had the same responsibility. Are you faithful with what God has given you? He didn't expect any more from the man that had five than he did from the man who had one. And so it's not how much you have that matters to God. It's what you do with what you have that matters to him. And so God's not concerned whether you have great ability or little ability. God's not concerned with whether you have great talent or small talent. It's what you do with the talent that you have that matters to God. And so your opportunity will never exceed your ability. Because he will give you everything you need for whatever opportunity you face. Whether it's a great big opportunity, he'll give you all the gifts and the abilities that you need to be able to face that opportunity. If it's a smaller opportunity, he'll give you what you need to face that opportunity. But just like every servant in this parable had been given ability, he also had been given the responsibility to take the opportunity to use that ability for the good of his master, and so do we. But the point to remember is this. All that you have, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's your treasures, whether it's your talents, the ability to work, to make money, all of it is a gift from God. Secondly, get this. God's gift is to be used... For God's glory. 
the gifts that he gives us are not for our own personal selfish desires. So in order to understand this parable, you need to understand the symbolism in this parable. It's, an obvious, it's obvious in this story that the master represents the Lord Jesus. The servants obviously represent the believers, the saints, just like the, the young virgins in the previous parable represented the believers, the saints. And so the truth of the parable is this, is that the Lord has called every saint, every believer to be a servant. And God has gifted every servant and given every servant the ability to use that gift for his glory. Every ability is at the same time an opportunity. Every opportunity carries with it responsibility. And that responsibility is to seize the opportunity, to use that ability, to make that ability count for the glory of God, not to waste it. And so you take what abilities you have, and we all have them, we all have certain gifts. We all have certain abilities to do certain things. Those abilities are, are just like money. They're to be invested. And that's why the story goes on to say this in verse 16 down to verse 18. So he's laid out who these people are. One has five, one has two, one has one. And then he goes away. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Every one of these servants was expected by the master to maximize the value of the gifts and the talent that had been given to them. Now, it's important to notice that the master didn't expect an equal return. But he did expect an equal response to take advantage of the opportunity according to the ability the person had been given. And so the servants treated the Lord's goods differently. Notice in those verses, in verse 16 through verse 18, two servants were responsible, very responsible. They went to work immediately. They didn't waste any time. They began to serve quickly. They took what the master had given them, and they went and they invested it. They went and they used it to make more, and they brought back double what they had invested what they had given had been given and so they were faithful and they were diligent because they didn't waste any time they got straight to the work they used their abilities they used their energies they exerted themselves they expended their energy and their effort to use what the lord had given to them the less gifted servant worked and labored as much as the more gifted servant. The one who had two worked just as hard as the guy who had five. He didn't have as many gifts, uh, as many talents, but he exerted the same initiative, the same energy, the same effort. Again, the picture here is that of a business transaction. But the point is that the two servants used what the Lord had given them. And they used their gifts faithfully, and they used them diligently. They were successful. Each one gained and each one doubled what the Lord had given them. Every servant's gifts bore fruit in proportion to his gifts. Look at it. The one who had been given five talents, he bore five more talents, so that made him ten. Uh, the one who had been given less, who had been given two, he, he bore two more, so that gave him four. 
Both were equally successful. Both doubled what the Lord had given them. But notice one servant was irresponsible. He simply didn't use the Lord's gift at all. He, didn't, he just took the talent, and the Bible tells us there uh, in verse 18, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Notice now, he was somewhat active, wasn't he? He spent time and he spent energy to go out, find the shovel, and to begin to dig a hole and to bury the Lord's gift. He hid it. His days, his time, his energy were supposed to be for the Lord. But he took his life and his days into his own hands. What was he doing? Now, we're not told, but his efforts weren't spent in the Lord's cause. He served only himself. He was worldly, lusting after the flesh and the possessions of this world. He was out to serve himself instead of to serve God. We'll see that in a moment when we look at his excuses. But this man was afraid. He was afraid he might fail. He was afraid he might, he, 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 he would never, he, if he never tried, because he had that fear, he never tried to succeed. And so fear uh, filled his life and kept him from doing the responsibilities that God had called him to do. What we don't use for the Lord, we're in danger of losing. It's possible that this man with one talent thought that his one talent Man, that's just not that much. It's only one talent. That guy over there, he got more than I got. He got five. This little talent isn't much. It isn't going to amount to anything. He might have thought it wasn't important. He didn't have five talents. He maybe looked at the other guy and said, well, he's got twice what I've got. I've only got one. How in the world is my little talent going to make any difference in this world? Why worry about one? Why because he was appointed as a steward by the Lord. All too often, people who are gifted, who are given talents with, 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 uh, with little feel uh, like their service matters very little, that it's not really worth the time or the effort that it takes. And that kind of attitude forgets something. It forgets that the gift you have isn't yours. It's God's. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a gift that's to be used. It's a gift that we're to give our full energy to, our full effort to in its use. The use of a single gift is to occupy what days and hours we have here on this earth. We're to be faithful even if we only have one talent. Always be faithful always be using what the Lord has given to us, even if it's a single gift, whatever it is. And, and so let me tell you something here that may even shock you. The Lord wants his disciples to be ambitious. Now, ambition sometimes for us has a, has a negative connotation to it. But there's nothing wrong with ambition if it's channeled in the right direction with the right focus, with the right purpose. The word ambition comes from the Latin word ambitio, which means literally to go around. 
It refers to the fact that life is to be a movement around the opportunities God gives you in order to achieve His glory and His honor. Uh, there's a great saying that says this, we ought to expect great things from God and we ought to, ought to attempt great things for God. But let me once again tell you what success is. Success is when you simply exercise your responsibility to take advantage of every opportunity to use whatever ability God has given to you, to use it and to use it for His glory and for His honor, to be faithful rather than unfaithful. And so in this story, there's only two kinds of servants. There's the faithful and there's the unfaithful. Notice the emphasis is never put on that the, uh, the two guys who, who were faithful doubled their gift. The, the emphasis from, uh, from the master is that they exerted the effort to use the gifts. So even if you don't double it, you're still to use it. And, and so you're to be faithful. To be more blunt, there are two kinds of servants in this parable. Two were faithful, one was foolish. And likewise, we're one of two kinds of servants in God's kingdom. Either we're a faithful servant or we're a foolish servant. You're either doing something for God or you're doing nothing for God. Just because you may not be as talented or as gifted as somebody else doesn't mean that you shouldn't give it your very best. Here's a little poem that I came across that sums it up. It says, you're going to be better than some, and some are going to be better than you. But you should never accept the fact that you didn't make the effort to do the best that you can do. That's all God calls us to do, to do our best to use whatever gifts he has given to us for his glory. And that's what we're to do. You're not to compare yourself to others. You're to just be faithful to serve the Lord. And so that leads us to our third point that we ought to learn from these scriptures is that God's glory will result in your gain. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So if you go back to the previous parable and you look at the parable of the ten virgins, you'll remember in that parable uh, that the bridegroom waited a long time. It was a long time before the bridegroom came. They didn't know when he was going to come. And he kept waiting and they kept waiting and they kept waiting and they got tired and they fell asleep. And they weren't ready. And so you see the same emphasis in this parable. For a long time the master has been gone and now after a long time he comes and he settles accounts with them. The day of reckoning came, but it came after a long time. Understand this, by the time Jesus returns, it will have been a long time in the eyes of this world, but it will have only been a short time to Jesus. In fact, he says this in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Notice a second fact. Jesus says the master did return. And when he does return, he reckons with his servants, not with the world. 
He's reckoning with those who, are, who he has bought, uh, who are his servants, uh, who are his precious ones. Jesus is talking about his servants in this passage. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those who are professing believers. He's talking about some genuine believers and some who are just professing with their lips, who are making a false profession. And we have to always remember this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to return. He is ready to judge the living and the dead. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's ready. He's ready right now. But the Bible also says that he is long-suffering, wanting more and more to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but, it is, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so he, he, is, he is ready to return, but he's long-suffering because he wants more to repent, more to come to him. And so we find the master returned. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then each of us, when the master returns, will give an account of himself to God. Over and over we see this in the Scripture. We're going to have to give an account of all the things we did or didn't do, all the things we said or didn't say in our body. And so Hebrews 9, 27 says, And just as it is appointed to man once to die, and after this comes what? Judgment. Now hopefully you understand what the real test of the talents was all about. Look at verse 20 down to verse 23. It says, and he who had received five talents came forward. When, this is after the master comes to settle the accounts. He came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So notice that the reward for work well done is going to be more work to do. I'm going to put you over more because you've been faithful over little. Notice the, the, that the experience was the same for the first, for the one who had five, as well as for the one who had two. They both acknowledge God's gifts and God's graces. Notice what they both said. Lord, you gave to me. Lord, you delivered to me this. You gave me five. The other guy says, you gave me two. They recognize where the gift came from that it was the Lord who had given it to them. They were appreciative. They were thankful. And so they were bold in approaching the Lord. And they said, here, behold, look, I've made or I've gained more. Their boldness was in a spirit that knew uh, that they had been faithful. Understand this, when you stand before God, you want to stand before God with a clear conscience. 
knowing that you did everything you were supposed to do, you said everything you were supposed to say, that you went everywhere you were supposed to go, it's going to be a fearful and a frightening time if you come before the Lord and in the back of your mind you're thinking, you know, God gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share with somebody, to minister to somebody, and I didn't do anything with it. You ought to be fearful when you come to God in that way. These guys didn't come in fear towards the master in that way. When the master came to reckon the accounts, they came with boldness because they knew they had been faithful. They had done everything they could. And so what more could be expected? And, and so uh, their boldness was in a spirit that they knew they had been faithful in what the Lord had said to do. It wasn't in a boastfulness. They had worked 100%. And so the Lord commends these two servants and gives them their rewards. He gives them more leadership, and he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. It's not about the gifts you were given or how many gifts you have. So understand that. It's not about if you have the gift to sing or you have the gift to teach, or, or you have the gift to preach, or you have the gift to, to run the sound system, or you have the gift to do whatever it is. Maybe it's to build things. It, not, it doesn't matter if I don't have that gift, but you have that gift. It's not the gift that you've give, been given. It's not how many of those gifts you've been given. It's what you do with what you have that really counts to God. We can't emphasize that enough. And so that's why both these men, the man with the five talents, the man with the two, received exactly the same reward. What was their reward? You've been faithful in little, I'll give you much, I'll give you more, I'll give you more responsibilities, what he's saying, and then both of you can enter into the joy of the Lord. The reward was not different for either one. One that had five didn't get a better reward than the one who had two. They got the same reward. It simply mattered what they did with the talents they had. It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you got that counts with God. And so the emphasis on this parable isn't on the faithful servant. The emphasis in this parable is on the unfaithful servant. Notice how he responds in verse 24 and verse 25. He also, so he's going to be reckoned with also, just like the first two. Verse 24 says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, let's look first at the reasons that this servant gave for not using the gifts that the Lord, the Master, had entrusted to his care. First of all, he misunderstood God. The unprofitable servant here said that the Master was too demanding, too exacting, too stern, too unsympathetic. He was a master who demanded too much. He was too strict. He didn't allow uh, people the, the right to enjoy this world and its pleasures enough. And the servant felt that if he spent his time in the service of the Master, he would miss out on life. 
the demands of the master upon his time and, and his affairs were just too burdensome. And this servant was too involved in the world and its affairs to give that much time and that much effort to labor for the master. We see the same correlation towards the Lord. Uh, he didn't, we so often find uh, that sometimes we don't give the effort that the Lord deserves. And we don't concentrate upon his demands. And, and notice he adds in his, his excuse, he said that he feared. He feared using and putting his talent to work for the master. Which Jesus is telling us that there are those who fear using their gift, their talent to work for the Lord. And so he hid the master or the Lord's talent and didn't use it to increase the master's kingdom or in this parable's illustration, the Lord's kingdom. Isn't it interesting that only one of these servants who gave an excuse for his performance was the person who didn't do anything? He did nothing. You know, I'm convinced the only person in life who makes excuses are the ones who do nothing. You find it interesting that when Jesus asked the two faithful servants what they did with their talents, they simply said, we took what you gave us and we made more. But the unfaithful servant, notice what he did. He took 43 words to say basically, I did nothing. This man was buried, had buried his talent. He didn't even take it to the bank. He didn't, in our vernacular today, he didn't even put it in a CD. He didn't try to draw any interest. Now, he could have, because in the ancient Roman Empire, they had a banking system that was, in many respects, like the banks of today, and the interest earned on deposits was about 6%. I mean, this man could have simply, by going to one of those Roman banks, he could have took that talent to the bank, put it in the bank, made 6% on his money, but he didn't do anything. He went out. And he buried it. Now you may think that's foolish, but let me tell you, I've got news for you. You know what God sees when he looks over many of our congregations, many of our churches? He sees buried talent everywhere. He sees the buried talent of singing, the buried talent of teaching, the buried talent of serving, the buried talent of working all over the church. And many times we're sitting there with our pet excuses for why we don't do anything for God. Well, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. Or, well, I do give some money to the Lord. Well, I do faithfully attend. Well, I want you to understand something. There's no excuse for not serving God. Notice verse 26 and verse 27. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money where? With the bankers. You should have at least put it in a CD where you could have earned that 6%. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Didn't matter if you doubled it or not. I would have at least received more than I gave you if you had been faithful to use what I gave you. And so notice this servant had tried to pass the blame off on the master. But notice what the master says. He, he tried to say, master, it's your fault. You're just too hard of a master. 
Sometimes we try to say that to God. God, you just expect too much of me. And so the servant, he tried to pass blame off on the master. But notice what the master said. If you thought I would demand a return on what doesn't belong to me, do you not think I would require a return on what does belong to me? Because what I gave you belongs to me. And this servant, the slave, uh, he was verbally hanged on his own verbal rope. Notice God's reasons for condemning this servant. Notice the vast difference between what the Lord said and what this servant had to say. This unfaithful servant, he says, you are wicked and you are slothful. He was wicked because he went about doing exactly what he wanted to do. He just did whatever he wanted to do. He spent his time, his energy, however he wanted to do it. He sinned against God's command and against God's will because the expectation was whether I give you one or I give you five, I expect something when I come back in addition to that. And so he was also not only wicked in not obeying God's will, he was also slothful because he did nothing with God's gift. He buried it. He hid it. Now, this unprofitable servant, he was inconsistent in this. Or maybe a better description would be deceptive, double-minded, self-contradictory. If he really believed that the master was harsh and that he was stern, he would have worked his fingers to the bone to try to get something else to give to the master. So the servant was either lying or he was terribly deceived and self-contradictory, all in an attempt to justify why he didn't do what he should have done. I fear many of us one day are going to have to stand before God and we're going to try to offer our feeble excuses of why we didn't do what we should have done. Notice the unprofitable servant failed to use his gift. Jesus is direct. This servant should have used this gift and he should have served. He had no excuse. And so now we learn the hard lesson of this parable. Whatever you do for God now will reap an eternal reward later. But whatever you don't do for God now will be lost forever. Notice verse 28 down through verse 30. So here's the master that says here's what you're to do. Remember this is an illustration of what the Lord says about, his, about the kingdom of God and what God will do for those who don't use the talents and the abilities, the gifts that have been given to them. So verse 28 says... Here's the judgment. So take the talent from him, the one that I gave to him that was mine to start with, and give it to him who has ten talents. That's the guy who had five, who made five more. Now he's got ten. He says, take that one and give it to that guy who's got ten. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And not only that, he goes on to say, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So notice a few things here as we close in this final part. Notice the judgment of this unfaithful servant. 
Jesus pronounces a twofold judgment upon him. The unprofitable servant, the unfaithful servant, was stripped of what he did have. All he had was taken away from him. The servant's responsibility, the glorious privilege of working and serving the Lord would not be his anymore. He wouldn't have anything else to do with the Lord. His responsibility was taken from him and given to the one who had proven faithful. The unprofitable servant, notice also, not only did he have everything taken away from him, the Bible says he was cast into outer darkness. Every time you see that phraseology in the Bible, it's talking about hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. There's no joy there. He's cast out from the Lord's presence. He's banished forever. And so there's two great errors of thinking of the world. Many people think God is just too hard. His word and his commands are just too demanding. It's too, he's too unsympathetic. And, and they're unwilling to follow such a hard, narrow way. So they bury and they hide their God-given gifts and they travel along the easy, broad path. Others think that what they have is their own and they can use it the way they want to and live the way they want to. They think that what they do is nobody else's business but their own. It's not even God's business. Simply put, what we see here in this passage is that when it comes to the gifts, the talents, the time, the treasures that God gives you, you either use it or you will lose it. Now this man may have been upset because he only had one talent. But having little to work with is no excuse for not using it at all. Somebody has said and well said that the great danger between the things we think are too small for us to fool with and the things that we think are too great for us to attempt is that we wind up doing absolutely nothing at all. Hear me and hear this well. No talent is too small and no task is too trivial if it can be used in the kingdom of God for the glory of God. What you don't use, you will lose. And so the great reward in all of this is to just simply hear the master commend you for what you've done. The compliment of all compliments is to stand before the God of gods, the God who made you, the God who gifted you. Whether you're a person with five talents or you're a person with, with two talents or you're a person with one talent. And to hear him simply say those words, well done thou good and faithful servant. It all leads to ask a question of every one of us who claim to know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Did Jesus make a good investment when he saved you? Did he make a good investment when he gave you the greatest gift you could ever have? Think about this. How would you feel if you went to a bank... You opened up a savings account. You put $1,000 a year in that account for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, you went to collect your money and you only received 
How would you feel when you asked the banker what happened? And he told you, well, we didn't put your money in an interest-bearing account. We just simply went out back of the bank and buried it in the ground and so you wouldn't be upset. So, so how do you think God feels when he invests gifts and talents and abilities in you straight from his hand and then you fail to use them for his glory? You go out back and you bury them in the ground and you just go on living whatever way you want to live. You see, understand this, as long as you live, God wants you to be faithful with what you have, faithful where you are. And that's why Jesus himself says, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in that which is much. So look at your hands and look at your heart and realize that everything you have and everything you are is a gift from God to be used for His glory and for your gain. Whatever gifts you have, I want to implore you to use them and not to lose them. The question is, are we willing to risk it all for Jesus? God wants us to step out by faith and to risk it all for Him. Uh, as I was thinking about that and stepping out by faith to risk it all for him, I thought of when I was a younger boy, uh, we used to, we had a place about six miles from where I grew up. It was uh, called Kingsley Lake. It's almost a perfectly round lake. It's about a mile, a little over a mile uh, all the way around. I think you got some pictures there. Uh, of it. This is the lake. It's called Kingsley Lake. We used to go out there with my grandmother and go camping in the uh, Army National Guard side there. I have an aunt who lives on one part of the lake there. Uh, on the far side of the lake there uh, was a place called Strickland's Landing. There actually was another place right next door to it that was called Kingsley Beach. At, at Strickland's Landing, uh, you would see these kinds of things, these big slides. You'd see the diving boards. They had uh, pool tables in the, in, the, in the big room up at the main area at the dock. They they had uh, the video games you could play and all those kinds of things. They had inner tubes you could get to, to just float on the water. Uh, you could do all those things, and it was all fun, uh, and it was all exciting. It was a place about, about halfway between Gainesville and Jacksonville. Uh, it's a spring-fed lake. It's about 90 foot deep in the center. Uh, it was, they say it's either an ancient sinkhole or a crater form uh, by a meteor. Uh, it's about six miles south of where I lived at. Uh, it had that large beach. It had that enclosed area uh, there with water slides and other fun attractions. If you see the, the aerial shots there uh, of Strickland's Landing, you'll see that it's quite a bit there. If you can, yeah, so that's one of them, and there's another view uh, vantage point also. It's quite a big area there uh, that you could swim in there. You didn't have to worry about boats or any of those kind of things. It's about 20 acres uh, on the north uh, shore of the lake. It was a family-oriented place. No alcohol was allowed there. Now, on Kingsley Beach, they did do alcohol and stuff. That's the place to the right there uh, in the picture. Uh, but uh, this place was a family atmosphere, and people were expected to be on their best behavior. The greatest thrill that we would have there wasn't the video games or the pool tables or the floating on the inner tubes or the water slides that you saw a moment ago uh, or the diving boards. It was what you saw in the one picture, if you go back to it there with the slide. 
Yeah, so right to the right of it, uh, you'll see like a, there's a place there for a uh, lifeguard that has the kind of shelter over the top there. To the far right-hand side, you see some people standing up on a platform up there. Those were diving platforms or jumping off platforms or if you were brave enough to jump off. <laughs> to jump off. And we were little kids and this, so when you're up on one of those things, it's like this thing looks like it's two, three stories in the air. You're scared to death when you get up there. In fact, what we would do is we would get up there and we'd kind of be like those people on the sides. Uh, we would be just standing there trying to talk ourselves up to finally jump off of this thing because uh, we knew other people were jumping off and they were having fun. They were experiencing the joy of all that. But man, we were scared and you could just feel the adrenaline. You could feel the goosebumps all over you as you'd go and look over the edge and man that's a long ways down there and I don't want to jump and do a belly flop in that or something and, and hurt myself but every time uh, you'd go up there uh, you'd have that kind of experience we'd climb the ladder to the top we'd stand there for what seemed like an eternity trying to get up the courage to jump and then every time uh, we would go those feelings of anxiety and adrenaline swelling up and in us but inevitably you'd see those others jumping and you'd begin to question Am I willing to risk it all and jump too? You saw they were experiencing all kind of joy. And once you took that first jump, it got easier. Notice that that's the kind of jump we would take. Sometimes you'd dive, and it was scary. But once you did it that first time, you're like, man, that was awesome. I want to go back and do that again. And you'd go back up again, and you wouldn't stay as long on the platform the next time. You'd jump off again because you knew the excitement and the feeling of joy of risking it all and jumping off of that platform. That feeling was exhilarating once you did it. Let me tell you this. When you take that first step to really trust the Lord, and you say, Lord, I'm willing to risk it all. I need your help, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to follow you. And then you step out by faith to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he's given you, and you don't let fear keep you from, the risk, from risking it all for the Lord. Then you will experience the greatest feeling of peace that passes all understanding. And once you take that first step, the next time it gets easier, and the next time it gets easier, and the next time it gets easier, and the next time it gets easier, don't let fear keep you from using the gifts by following Him step by step, risking it all, serving the Lord with all of your time, all of your talents, and all of your treasures. Because remember, all that you have... Everything you can think of that you have is God's gift. And if it's God's gift, God's gift is to be used for God's glory. And God's glory will always result in blessings for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What an awesome passage about these three individuals. Lord, two who were faithful and one who was unfaithful. Lord, I pray that when it comes to the end of our lives and we are standing before your throne of judgment, we would hear those words that we so long to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that we would be genuine in our faith 
genuine in our walk with you, not professing something that we don't have in our hearts, living one way and doing something else, saying, I love you, Lord, but never stepping out by faith to use the gifts you've given us, and we go and hide it, and we never use it, and then we hear from you, depart from me. I never knew you. And we're cast out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, I pray that if we're here tonight and we've never trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, may we call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried in the tomb, arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Lord, may we stand on the promise of your word that says that if we profess with our lips Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Father, I pray that we'll come to publicly profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, to follow through with believers' baptism. But, Father, if we're here as believers and we've already been given the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and yet, Lord, we've taken and we've hid it in the ground. We've hid it in the ground and the soil of our lives, and we never share it with anybody else. We've never uh, shared our faith with one other person with the hopes of leading them to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that we will dig up that gift before the Master comes. And Lord, that we'll begin to put it to use and that we'll be faithful in all that you've given us, in all that we have, in all that we are. Lord, bless us in the days ahead. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 311, let Jesus come into your heart. Will you come tonight as the Lord lays on your heart? Brother Mike. If you are tired of the load of your sin, let Jesus come into your heart. If you desire a new life to begin, let Jesus come into your heart. Just now your doubtings give forth. Just now reject him no more. Just now.